Hello and welcome to A Murderous Affair, the podcast where we talk about women in history known for mayhem and murder. My name is Gabrielle and this week we're talking about a woman who is a little bit more recent in our history. Her name is Lindsay Hogan and she was recently featured on season two of I Am A Killer. Now I was really conflicted about whether or not I wanted to cover this woman for this episode because usually I like covering figures that are a little further back in history because a lot of the times these people aren't around to bask in the attention and it doesn't quite feel so much like you're giving them a platform and a lot of the times the families of the victims are so far removed that it doesn't impact them quite so negatively as it did before, as it would have if this was a crime closer to our day and age. But part of the reason that I wanted to cover this woman on the podcast is because I found that her episode on I Am A Killer really bothered me. How they were giving her a platform to appeal for sympathy and how the show itself seemed to sympathize with her rather than with the victim, Robbie. So I wanted to talk about that while also trying to stay as respectful as possible to the family of Robbie Mast. I know that a majority of them had a problem with this documentary coming out because they didn't want the attention to come on them as a family and for all these negative memories and trauma to be brought up again for them, which is totally understandable. I think it's different when the families of those who are murdered give their okay for episodes or series or documentaries or whatever, things like that to be covered, to be talked about. But when a family specifically says that they don't want this to happen because of whatever reason, I don't think that it should proceed. And yet I understand that by me talking about her this episode, I'm doing the exact same thing. But for me, I was just so angry by how Netflix covered this whole case that I kind of wanted to do a more realistic, I guess you can say, version of what happened. You know, like actually tell the story in facts and not just rely on the fact that this was a pretty young white woman who was crying in front of the camera to gain sympathy, you know? Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox now and talk about Lindsay Hogan. I just want to preface all that. I feel very confused you know like it's it's definitely the hardest episode I've struggled with and I would love to know what you guys think and I would love to know what your opinion is on how you feel like people do them respectfully or if there's even a way that's possible to do it respectfully I would love to know what you guys think so feel free to reach out to me on social media at Frumius Reads, F-R-U-M-I-O-U-S-R-E-A-D-S or wherever you listen to this podcast I'd love to know but I will get off my soapbox and we will talk about the murder of Robbie Mast by Lindsay Hogan. Lindsay Hogan was born in 1983. She grew up in Portland, Oregon, and at the age of 15, she ran away from her home. She'd started to smoke weed when she was in high school, and by the time she was 16, she'd moved from weed to meth to heroin and considered herself addicted. When she was 17, she found out that she was pregnant, and that was when she decided to turn her life around and move back home so that she could be a parent for her soon-to-be-born son. She joined the National Guard, and things seemed to be looking up for her. In 2013, she met her first fiancé, who was extremely abusive. He beat her and 
assaulted her multiple times and one night almost killed her by putting her in a chokehold and cutting off her oxygen. In 2015, he was arrested and put in jail for the abuse against her. And it was two months after this that she met Robbie. So Robert Robbie Mast was said to be a traveler at heart. He basically took to the road and went everywhere. In the I Am A Killer episode, only his birth mom and his stepdad are featured but it seems like he was closer to his father and his stepmother. He went back to visit them often and kept in touch with that side of the family much more than with his mother and stepfather. He loved trains, his stepmom says, to the point where all his nieces and nephews would point at one whenever it went by and say, look, Uncle Robbie, which is something that they continue to do to this day. Lindsay and Robbie met at a party. How she describes it, it was an instant connection. She maintains now that their relationship was mutual and loving, but a lot of people, including law enforcement and Robbie's friends and family, don't believe that she was really even his girlfriend at all. They began to travel together in August when Robbie said that he wanted to head to North Dakota. They were driving from Washington to North Dakota, and while on this trip, Hagen insists that Robbie told her time and time again that he wanted to die. She's quoted often as saying, I remember one of those mornings he woke up and just said, have you ever been disappointed that you woke up and you're still alive? Also, he had asked previously for her to kill him, but when he, she couldn't, he said, I should have known I couldn't ask you to do that. Here is what is honestly more likely. And this is what friends, family, who were close to him and law enforcement who invested in the case believe. On their way to North Dakota, they stopped to talk to some of Robbie's friends. The friends said that she was all over him, while the vibe they got from him was that he wasn't that interested. He was, in fact, talking about his ex, who was a mutual friend of theirs, and, saying how and he was saying how much he missed her. Apparently, he was headed up to North Dakota because she had a job for him. Their friends that they met up with claimed that the ex and Robbie had been on and off for years, and it seemed like Robbie wanted to try and give their relationship a shot again while they were both up in North Dakota together. Hagen herself admits to having arguments with Robbie about this the rest of the trip. And according to her ridiculous statement, they made up, and then after they made up is when he first asked her to kill him, which is probably one of the most ridiculous things I've heard this garbage human make. Who would ask someone that they had only known for 26 days to kill them? And even if they did, the correct response would be to take them to a hospital or a mental health professional or somewhere that they could get help and not proceed to murder them. I feel like it's very matter of fact that you don't murder someone just because they ask you to. Throughout this journey, Hagen also admits that they were probably only sober, sober four days total, and those four days were only when they ran out of money and couldn't buy alcohol or other drugs. Which means that even if he had asked her to kill him, which I highly doubt, she knew he was impaired when he did it. So, Hagen and Robbie make a stop in Billings, Montana. There, they eat pizza and drink wine in the parking lot of a Walmart. According to Hagen, it's there that Robbie asks a second time for her to kill him, which she then proceeds to do by putting him in a chokehold in the car and covering his nose and mouth for the next 20 minutes. In a statement to police, she insists that throughout the whole time she's pulling her hands off and asking him if he's sure and he's putting them back on and pressing down and yet at the same time he's also unconscious and seizing while she does it so listen if you're unconscious much less seizing you are physically incapable of putting someone's hands on your own mouth and nose and then proceeding to push them down to indicate you want them to keep going that doesn't happen and that just makes no sense but that was her story and she told this to the police detective who brought her in the same night 
She and Robbie had attracted attention from customers shopping at Walmart due to the fact that they had seen the couple arguing and that they seemed upset. After Hagen had killed him, she drove eight blocks before pulling into a different parking lot and trying to resuscitate him. It was there that the police caught her. She admitted to having killed him immediately, but insisted on her version of events, that he'd asked her to kill him, and etc. When the detecting interviewing her asked why she did it, why she listened to him, she said that it was because she, quote, wanted to know what it was like to kill someone with her own hands, in addition to the fact that she loved Robbie, and she knew that he was depressed and suffering and wanted her to do it, even though she had only known Robbie for, at most, 26 days at this point. I'm sorry, you can't learn about someone's mental state when, one, they're drunk almost the entire time that you know them, and two, you've only known them 26 days. So in Montana, a deliberate homicide typically is about 100 years in prison, but the Yellowstone County Attorney Chief of Criminal Operations, Christopher Morris, and Senior Deputy County attorney Julie Patton said that the 65-year sentence they recommended took into consideration all mitigating factors of Hagen's life, which includes the past abuse and the theory that the defense spun, which was the fact that she was suffering from PTSD and battered woman syndrome, and it was just trying to make Robbie happy, which was kind of where her mental state was at the time. Sometime after being put in jail, Hagen met Robbie's mother and stepfather. They are, ironically enough, involved in ministering to incarcerated inmates. They had written her a letter saying that they forgave her, and she wrote one back to them, thanking them. And that's when a new relationship sprung up. They soon became extremely close, to the point that they've admitted that even though Hagen killed their son, it feels as though they've gained a daughter. And I know I'm not in their situation, and shouldn't judge or whatever, but that just, it sounds so sickening to me. I can't even imagine how it must make Robbie's father and stepmother who are the ones who are adamantly against Hagen be ever being released and were the ones that refused to take part in the I am a killer episode. I can't even imagine how they feel. They are also the ones claiming that the mother and stepfather are doing this for publicity and attention and to raise money for their own organization and basically profiting off of Robbie's death. It's hard to see why two people would ever become friends, let alone basically adopt into their family the killer of their son. Hagen right now is still serving her 65-year sentence, but her first parole hearing is coming up within the next few years, and the outcome is said to depend on input from the victim's families. And you've got her being best friends with his mom and stepfather, and People have asked her if that was why she has a, such a close relationship with them. And she said, it's just not the case. Their relationship means the world to me. But if I have to serve my entire term and I'm here until I'm 96 years old, that's fine. Like that just doesn't sound like a quote from someone who's adamantly denying that they're friends with the victim's family so that they might get a lesser sentence. And the mother says, was quoted as saying, it's, hurts her when people imply that she didn't love her son because of how close she is with his killer. She said forgiveness has given her more peace and release than holding on to anger, which I understand. Like, I've never, I'm not in their situation. I cannot judge them because I'm not living their life, etc. But to me, I just, I can't even imagine, like, keeping in contact with someone who may have killed someone who was a member of my family or my son or my child or anything. You know, like, I can't even imagine, like, the idea of doing that. And I understand, like, the forgiveness side of things, and if it helps the parents or the family or whoever feel better to do that, I think that's different than 
maintaining a relationship with the person who has killed that person you love. That is the story of Lindsay Hogan and it frustrates me and makes me so angry but at the very end at least she is serving what would hopefully end up being a life sentence for her in jail because by the time she got out she probably would be close to her 90s. I just wanted to talk about this episode. This was one that stuck with me. It really bothered me more than I think any other person I've talked about on this podcast has ever bothered me and I just wanted to know what your opinion was. I wanted to know what you guys think but that's all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to talk about it with me or if you want to find out or if you want to follow me on social media, make sure you follow me at Frumious Reads on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, all of the above. You can find me F-R-U-M-I-O-U-S-R-E-A-D-S. Make sure you follow the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or you can go to the website we have at frumiusreads.com forward slash a dash murderous dash affair. There you'll find transcripts of all of our episodes as well as cool merch at frumiusreads.com forward slash shop with podcast stuff on it and it's really cool and awesome if you guys haven't checked that out. But... That is all I have for you today. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Stay spooky, friends. Goodbye.